The Internet History Podcast is brought to you by MetaLab. Their slogan is MetaLab, we make interfaces. For a decade, MetaLab has helped some of the world's top companies and entrepreneurs build products that millions of people use every day. You probably didn't realize it at the time, but the odds are you've used an app that they've helped design or build. Apps like Slack, Coinbase, Facebook Messenger, Oculus, Lonely Planet, and many more. MetaLab wants to bring their unique design philosophy to your project. Let them take your brainstorm and turn it into the next billion-dollar app, from idea sketched on the back of a napkin to a final shipped product. Check them out at metalab.co. That's metalab.co. Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brian McCullough. So today, we're going to continue our occasional project of getting oral histories and personal anecdotes about how exactly the Internet and the Web came to various places around the world. On this episode, we're going to look at how the Internet came to and is actually still in the process of coming to Pakistan. Imran Haider is a listener to this show works in the tech industry, and analyzes the South Asian tech scene at his blog, arquito.co. Today, he tells us how the digital revolution came to Pakistan, how it's still in the process of rolling out, what it has meant for Pakistani society, and what the startup and tech scene is in Pakistan. My thanks to Imran Haider for being a longtime listener of this show and for being willing to contribute to this project specifically. And please check him out at arquito.co. It's really Ben Thompson-level analysis of the tech scene in the subcontinent. That's A-R-K-I-T-O dot C-O, arquito dot C-O. Imran Hader, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. Thanks, Brian. I'm glad to be here. So am I speaking to you? Are you in Lahore right now? I'm, I'm in Islamabad, not exactly in Islamabad, but uh, just uh, like an hour drive from Islamabad. I'm living in my, with my parents right mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. nowadays, so, um, but I'm, I'm close to Islamabad and Lahore. Okay. Um, so as, as uh, somewhat rude as this question might seem, uh, it's important to get context. So could you tell us how old you are? Yeah, I'm 33 now. Exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I will be 34 in October. So um, not not young enough that the internet's always been around. You can remember a time before it. Yes, actually. Okay. Well, let's all right. Let's yeah. get into that. Um, let's start with um, you said over email. Actually, you can remember a time period when computers were just rich people's toys. Yeah, I actually do. Uh, it's uh, like my first interaction with the computer was in two thousand. Um, I, I was uh, fresh of high school and I was, I was looking for, for a major subject for, uh, for my college. And like the place I'm, I, I, I am from is actually, 
not actually a very uh, like um, an urban area in the in in the in the sense that what's actually happening in the country is not uh, is not a reflective of what where I, where I came from. Mm-hmm. So my natural uh, like I I think of my father as a progressive just because of the fact that he he, he thought of getting me educated, not to push me into an army or navy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but his his uh, ideal was that I could become a doctor. But uh, um, and and uh, I was really actually good at biology and physics, both of the subjects. So that's what I thought I was going to be. But then after uh, after high school, I took a course in MS DOS, and I I actually liked it. It's probably it's probably because of the fact that okay, this is the first time that I'm learning something, and actually I'm doing something about it, and there is something popping up light in front of my eyes like I type a command and there is something happening over there mm-hmm. which wasn't the case with any of the other subjects that I was reading in high school so so yeah that's that's how I came to know of computer I, I took a three months short course and I insisted my father that okay I'm, I'm I want to read I want to do whatever the study I have to do in computer science so uh, again you said this was around the year 2000 yeah this was 2000 actually so- April 2000 I remember and so your only access to a computer at that point was through the school where uh, you learned DOS. Yes. So is it? Um, so are there any things like internet cafes or anything like that at that point? Maybe not where you are at. Uh, internet was. Um, yeah, uh, internet actually, was there. Not, but... not, well, save, save about the internet for a second because. I, what I'm more curious okay. about is your access to computers. Had you so there's nowhere else aside from this school and this class where you, you, there's not a rich friend that has a computer. There's not a uh, a library or something. So th- this is your only ability to have access to to computers. Yes, that was it. Uh, two hours per day. So I I just I just go out there. We had a teacher and he told us about and it was DOS only. Mm-hmm. DOS-only computers, mm-hmm. and uh, although GUI was quite common in 2009, but right. it was DOS-only, and uh, yeah, we, we just went out there two hours, practiced over there, and I actually became quite good at DOS, so um, I thought, okay, this is, this is something that I want to do more, and so it's it's only when I, I joined actually college then uh, that we had a full-fledged lab, but even then I didn't have a personal computer at home. I just had one in college. Right. We'll we'll get to that too. But listen, uh, don't apologize for falling in love with DOS. I, I miss the command line uh, sometimes, but uh, uh, it was DOS that, that was all my first computers too. So um, are, again, in 2000, you're getting started with computers, but are you aware that the internet and the web exists? Like it's a thing that you had heard of? No, I don't have any idea. Okay. So when yeah. when do you first hear of it or first encounter it? When I was in college, um, the when I when I joined in the college, I actually left my native hometown. I actually came to Islamabad for the studies, and there there was like some real science of computer, and there was like a lab, and there used to be uh, an internet, and uh, yeah, that that was the first time that I actually got to use computer and actually got to use Windows, and I came to realize, okay, this is the computer is not just a uh, black screen and with some you can word that you type and there is something that happens. It's actually a GUI. You, there is a mouse and you can drag and drop things and you can do and you can do assignments over there and etc. There I learned all of the like stuff about Windows and mm-hmm. use 
uh, Word and Excel for, for our assignments. And uh, yeah, in the second year, I guess, uh, yeah, they taught us C in the second year. And I really liked that uh, because then uh, for the first time, I actually got to know that, okay, uh, uh, that's there, there is how these softwares are built and there are programming languages and you can actually write the code and you can make your own software. And I thought, okay, that's, that's even better. So, uh, so, so yeah, that's, that, that was my first interaction with the computer and there I got to see the internet as well. So what do you remember any of the first sites that you were impressed with or like, I, what I'm curious about is with a lot of people there, they, they talk about their aha moments. The first time I saw the web and, and I, I realized I could do this. Like when you first start to use the internet and the web, uh, what are you, what are you doing and, and what excites you about it? Uh, okay, probably email, I think. So uh, let, let me confess here a bit. I'm, I'm probably uh, a bit, I was a bit socially awkward person. Mm. And probably it has to do like I was from a rural area, my, my linguistics were not so fluent to interact with those guys. I, I became friends, but it was kind of a, like I always, I was always the one like kind of a left out. So yeah, I, 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 I saw other, uh, like my uh, college fellows, like, the the lab we have inside college was wasn't quite open like we you cannot chat with anyone else and you can you can just do some like um, some basic like search type or if you need some help in assignment you can probably search it out with uh, google but you cannot have you cannot uh, have msn chat rooms and yahoo chat rooms were quite common over there so my friends used to visit a local internet cafe and I didn't get to do that because I didn't have enough money to to go over there and and pay for per hourly basis to use the internet cafes. But mm. sometimes I go with the friends and just see them what they are doing. So uh, the first thing I got from the internet was probably email address. And I remember like everyone was offering email address. I I remember one I used to have an email address at britpspears.com. <laughs> so I thought oh <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. So uh, yeah I I had a lot of emails. <laughs> So they thought that, okay, um, I have this address of someone and I can just send him an email and it will be there. Uh, that that was, I think, my aha moment. But yeah, chatting with someone, I, I used to look at it, but then I didn't have enough money to like uh, sit over there for hours and hours and I didn't have the computer or the internet at home. So kind of a left out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll come back to your, your personal experience, but um big big picture give me a sense of so as uh, by the early 2000s again the internet's in cafes and you can you can get email if you go to college and things like that mm-hmm. how how to when and to what degree does the internet sort of go mainstream in Pakistan generally where when how how when when does it become a reasonable thing like maybe you could have internet at home okay uh, that I uh, probably around mid 2000 I would say mm-hmm. uh, again maybe some person who had got the early access might differ from me but I think um, uh, when I was in, uh, when I was doing my CS degree, we use one of my friends used to have uh, like uh, dial-up connection, uh, modem, and and I right. really uh, 
So we used to dial up and we got connected to the internet. So it's it's around 2000, we are talking about 2003, 2004. And there, there was still no DSL. It was like dial up and it was really, really slow actually. Um, and it used to take a lot of time to, to do anything. But internet cafes actually became uh, quite popular in that period. The internet was quite fast over there. And uh, most of the, most of the, our assignments, like if we if we really need to get something done, we used to just go to Internet Cafe because home internet was quite slow. And is are there, you know, uh, we I I've been trying to preserve a lot of the ISP history here in America. Like, were were there any big brands? Was there like an America Online of Pakistan? Or like, are there companies that are trying to to uh, bring the internet mainstream? Yeah, there were actually a lot. I I don't. Uh, I don't remember all of them, but um, there was one like uh, Comsets is a university here, so they they became an IS, internet service provider, and uh, right now it's like not not many of them. We have a government-based internet service provider that is quite pervasive in the country, they, although they actually mm, they have a very pretty bad and notorious customer service, but uh, yeah, in the in the beginning there were a lot. I, I I obviously don't remember all of their names, but they they slowly vanished out. So right now we have um, an, uh, a government back a government institution, a government company, sorry, that that is actually nationwide, and uh, we we have some uh, local players on the individual city level that were they are much better, but then they they obviously have some limitations in terms of like. Uh, expansion, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's now DSL and, and technologies like that. Yeah. No, it's no, it's actually pretty good. So uh, again, uh, I don't. Not to be too broad or general. Um, would would my? Well, actually, before I ask that question, so what about mobile? Because it's you know you read articles sometimes about how countries that that the internet goes mainstream later. Mm-hmm. They skip the intermediary steps and go just directly to mobile access to the internet. Um, was it, did something like that happen in Pakistan as well, where all of a sudden uh, mobile becomes a thing and it has internet? And so, is that what most people use to 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 access the internet now? It's happening right now, actually. Okay. Uh, every time I re- I, uh, I read about WeChat and how it how it became like the operating system, like Ben Thompson used to call the operating system for China. And it's happening actually in the country right now. Like if you go, if you go to uh, like uh, a rural village in Pakistan, most of them, most like not all of them, but most of the people have smartphones and uh, they like that's, that's their access point to the internet and they use the internet. Um, sometimes it becomes scary to explain to them that, okay, there is a world outside of Google and Facebook as well. So, but that's uh, that's what's happening right now. And none of them actually uses laptop. Um, there are very few people who have laptops or use laptops at all, um, let alone a desktop computer. But they, the mobile phones, really cheap Android phones, they are they are quite common here. So, if I, if you and I uh, were meeting for dinner after this, and I was I was with you right now, I would expect mm-hmm. that. Would I be able to expect that most people we would encounter on the streets would have internet access, but it would mo- it would primarily be through their phones? Yes, that is true. Um, but it's it's actually uh, most people 
do have internet access, but they have like, um, um, what you can say, uh, via telecom operators. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. if they don't have DSL connections as such, especially if you go to the rural areas of the country, they don't have DSL. They use just mobile data and uh, and they just turn it off when they don't need it and turn it back on when they need it. So they are, they are actually uh, a bit sensitive about how they are using their data because it's actually quite expensive. They don't have the DSL, but they have the internet and they have mobile data and they mostly use mobile data. Um, so is again, is it a situation where maybe even you'll skip wide broadband deployment throughout the country because by the everyone's just going to go to hopefully 4G and 5G mobile connections, and so there's really not going to be a need to hook up people's houses and things like that. Yeah, it actually happened, and I think that's the case right now. The ISPs or the DSL providers, they didn't see any value in deploying, like in, in, in spending so much on the infrastructure costs for the, for an area where people are not really um, not nearly not really into the internet. Their lives doesn't concern with the internet at all. Uh, but then in 2014, uh, 13, 14, 3G and 4G came in, and suddenly, uh, and with that, uh, mobile mobile started to pour in. And now um, we don't have a, most uh, most parts of the country don't have a DSL, but they can obviously are using mobile data because 3G and 4G, one operator or the other, uh, has most of the areas covered. Okay, so you mentioned um, trying to tell people that there's an internet beyond <laughs> these sort of uh, apps that they're using. Um, yeah. What about what about social media? Um, again, sort of as as you're coming online, social media is already there. So, uh, again, from from your um, experience and perspective, like, what was the first sort of like social networking or or social media uh, site that that you um, used heavily? I mostly use Twitter, uh, but I joined Twitter and Facebook around the same time, and I joined them actually quite late. Um, the reason being, again, probably my social awkwardness, and I always thought of a Facebook that they, there are people who are like, uh, people are like, it's Facebook for me, I always thought of it like um, social gathering type of thing. So I was not good with the social gathering, so I thought I, I I, I, I will not be good at Facebook. So I, I didn't join them. I actually joined Facebook around 2008 or nine. I, I don't exactly remember. So I used it for like a two to four, three to four years when I started to have my family life and I had my daughter. So I used to post pictures on it. And that that's how I started using Facebook. But then I left it in like around 2015, 2016. I have an account, but I don't use it mm -hmm. uh, actively. I, I am on Twitter since like around the same time on Instagram as well, but I don't use Instagram at all. And I use Twitter regularly. Uh, not uh, I'm not a power user or something, but uh, I use it regularly. And it's, I think, the only social media that I, I visit on a daily basis. Well, so what is hot right now? Uh, you know, even it's, it's so granular where, you know, you see WhatsApp has a billion and a half users and no one here in the states uses it very much at all so what are what are the things in pakistan right now and not just social media but like what are the apps that that people are living in right now i think facebook for the most part uh, as as long as i see most people are on facebook um whatsapp is actually quite pervasive um uh instagram 
people use that a lot snapchat not, not so much snapchat became actually uh, started to gain traction but then instagram just started copying their story type of thing and now most mm-hmm. people are just using most people are using instagram so um yeah uh, i think i think it's actually very similar to us about apart from whatsapp because i messages actually uh, more pervasive in us right um yeah rest i think uh, whatsapp over uh, when it comes to messaging whatsapp is more pervasive here and in, when it comes to social networking it's i think it's facebook what what about um e-commerce e-commerce um like we uh, around 2012 like a startup startup started to gain traction we had our first incubator in 2012 a government backed one but uh, that started a kind of a like uh, started kind of like you can say it started um a kind of a revolution where people started thinking about that okay you can build legitimate internet companies um so e-commerce actually uh, the recent recent big news is that alibaba bought the biggest e-commerce player in pakistan right, right. pk and so it's it's gaining traction it's not as big as india and there are some legitimate challenges here big of biggest of them all is actually payments and then the last mile delivery problems cash on delivery actually um, sometimes hampers the experience so people are not really uh, willing to trust on it but i i i'm actually more seeing more and more people just uh, just in terms of sheer excitement that they can see all the things uh, on their browser and whatever they will order it will come to their home and i i see a lot of people trying that but it's um in my personal opinion it's it hasn't reached into its potential because we 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 have like um uh, around 180 million people here and it could it could become a really big sector uh, for the country but it hasn't become as yet maybe um, alibaba's acquisition may change things around but it's it's gaining traction definitely right so it's not yet at the you know you hear that china basically there's whole segments of the population that do all of their business uh you know th- online through the through their mobile apps and things like that so it sounds like it's almost like it it's on the cusp of maybe starting to become that way in pakistan yes it's on the cusp that's the right word um we'll come back to i want to come back to the startup scene at the end but um what about things like um gaming is there are people into into games and things like that yeah i think a lot of people uh, for a lot of people mobiles are about games um when i bought my first smartphone I, it was mostly games angry birds and all and all that so it it definitely gaming has a lot to do but most of the trend is towards the free gaming not not for the paid ones and it's i think it's not unique to pakistan it's probably everywhere but um yeah people do play a lot of games um the way uh, my uh, i i don't play much uh, but um, my, the people who are around me who have smartphones do have a lot of games either for their own or for their kids but uh, yeah there's there is a lot of smartphone gaming culture like uh, gaming video gaming like ps4 and xbox they are actually quite expensive and they become even more expensive in pakistan like um so it used to be that only the only the rich people can afford those things and it used to be a thing that only rich people could do so smartphones actually changed that and you can have 
although the experience is not the same, but you can, video games are becoming more and more pervasive just because of the fact that it's more accessible now. You touched on this earlier. What is the role of the government in Pakistan, either in terms of the the infrastructure uh, for the internet, or, or as you mentioned, I think um, you know incubators and providing support for for startups and things like that. So the government role has been kind of a mixed one, like it has been in uh, every other part in every other country of the world. So, so they do things, but they 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 tend to be a bit slower than the than the general public. Uh, sorry, the private sector market demands from them. But yeah, I, I think it took them two years to uh, to auction 3G, but they did it eventually, and we thank them. But they are not so efficient, and yet at the same time, they they um, they they get a lot of push from the private sector. Uh, a lot of a lot of good people are working on it and they they use they push the government a lot to do the things that need to be done and they can push the country forward so they at the end they do it but they 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 follow their own rules like in a, in any other country um incubators that's the uh, that's the good part that uh, i think has happened because of the government um so i don't know if you know omar saif from pakistan but uh, he is actually uh, he's actually once was considered the 35 most innovative innovative person on the in the world mm-hmm. and he and the this the local state government brought him back from us and he he was he was an mit and he actually started this first incubator known as plan 9 uh, i like the name by the way and mm-hmm. and that started kind kind of in a, like um, uh, a push towards the incubators and the universities started to roll in and then uh, individual people um, started to come up with their own incubators and uh, for a past like i think year and a half like federal government has started its own incubation program known as national incubation centers and they are opening it like across the five states within the country so uh, yeah some some very good progress over there uh, but I think private sector is always thinking way ahead of the government, so that there is always a kind of attention between what government should be doing and what they are doing. Well, then tell me about the private sector. Um, it, describe: Is there a startup scene in in Pakistan today? And if so, like, are there are there certain things that Pakistani startups seem to want to focus on, or or you know, specialize in? Um. I think I think the general trend is again. I I, I write about startups a lot, so I uh, it's um, I, I think the general trend is to again be the uh, on-demand delivery startups like Uber for this and Uber for that. Mm. And but I think there there are some notable startups from Pakistan who have done uh, really good work. Um, and. Yeah, and then they are like overall the eco the whole ecosystem is kind of an uh, like in kind of an uh, in a stage where 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 things you see you can see that there is potential and things are about to break up, but then there is some kind of an hold up on the ecosystem that we probably we don't have uh, like Flipkart type of story. India has Flipkart and right. some other startups that they can talk about, so we don't have that 
much big of a story, though we have smaller scale stories, which uh, if you wish we can talk about. But um, yeah, it's on the cusp of it, but it's it's really it really needs we need to have a big breakthrough story so that uh, uh, foreign investment can come in because local investors they are they are way more hesitant to invest in startups than than in other. Uh, investment opportunities that they get from time to time. There, so there's generally not a, a um, an appetite among local investors for uh, tech startups. Yeah, they are a bit uptight about it. Yeah, they do they do investments, but they 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 are uptight about it. Well, so what what are some of the the smaller ones that you've seen? Like even if they're names that that there's no way I would have heard of, or um, are, are you seeing? Young, young kids wanting to learn to program so that they can start their own Uber for something. Um, yeah, okay. I think one of one of the recent, uh, I think, which I call the success story would be that you might have heard is Atom's shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they are getting a lot of coverage in Silicon Valley, and uh, people are buying a lot of shoes from them. So they have a Pakistani origin. So Makas and Sidra, they are actually friends of mine. So they started from Pakistan. They initially built Markor, like they 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 were building leather shoes from Pakistan, and they were they were mostly selling it in in North America and in Europe. Uh, and then they Markor is still running, but they themselves pivoted towards more uh, s- sneaker and daily life, uh, like the shoes that you can wear on daily basis. Uh, there they are getting quite attraction in Silicon Valley right now, but. I don't know if it's, it's, you can call them atoms of Pakistani startup anymore because they are mostly in U.S. right now, but they have Pakistani origins, so I, I will mention them. Then there is uh, Popinjay, who have, has a similar model that like they they they, they Sabagul, who is from Pakistan, she was a student in MIT and she came back to start her own startup to help the local craftswomen who, who actually made amazing bags, but no one actually uh, get to see them. So he, he she built up quite a brand named Popinjay from Pakistan. Then there is music streaming service named Patari, who uh, I think has done a really commendable job when it comes to highlighting the music talent from Pakistan, which was like like most other uh, liberal arts was, was like, Kind of in an obscurity, they they started to bring that up, and they have like a, quite a vibe in the uh, in the music industry as of now. Um, these are right on top of my head, like I. But there are others like um, I, I maybe I'm forgetting other ones, but these are right on top of my head. Right, I right. No, that's that's add. perfect. Um, if if there were um, uh, venture capitalists listening, um. What would you say to them is the uh, the opportunity for investing in in tech in in Pakistan? I think the biggest biggest lure could be the population size, the sheer size of the population that we have, and I think uh, what local investors are probably seeing, but they it's hard for them to still commit to it, is the fact that actually. Some of um, some of the really cutting edge new startups that can have a real serious impact if if they if they support them and guide them in the right direction. Like I personally believe that um, it's and it's not just to Pakistan; it's to other developing countries as well. 
that healthcare and fintech these these are kind of the sectors that are that are more likely to be have favorable for startups than than in developing countries because developing countries has already established systems you name them hospitals and schools like you can call them not so good in in keeping in mind uh, uh, what 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 the industry is demanding from them but they still are are serving their populations very well and the problem with pakistan and other developing countries is that there is no such system uh, hospitals are rare banks are rare so there is actually quite an opportunity for startups who are in fintech and health care startup but the steep case uh, refers to them as third wave startups right so i think there there is uh, there is an opportunity that uh, especially with with the proliferation of mobiles and 3g and 4g um i always use uh, as the example that i never thought my mother would ever have the use for a smartphone <laughs> um i wonder if uh, are we at the point where something similar has happened like is your father uh using the internet on a daily basis at this point so my father is not alive sorry he i probably <laughs> no no it's all right my father is not alive so he was probably he was always the kind of person who was a, li- a little bit more curious than the other people so he might have have an iphone or android phone by now mm. my mother is not so much and he does not have a smartphone i try to buy her one and she does not understand that she she has a nokia phone with like real hard buttons that she can press right. and i think it's 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 a mandatory part of user experience for her she cannot bear with the touch and like uh, she feels like it's too liquid for her to use so but the younger so, the younger generation would would it be fair to say that they're all internet literate at least Oh yeah, my 5-year-old is actually more fluent than I am. So <laughs> she uses uh snap filters and I actually never got <laughs> never got an hold of them. N- neither have I. <laughs> neither have I. So. <laughs> um so I want to um I want to mention that you have a an excellent blog where you you do write about tech in in Pakistan. Um it's arkito.co a r k i t o.co. I'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, do you want to plug that or, or talk about anything that you're you're doing today or excited about today? Just tell me tell me what you're into and interested in, Imran. So, I'm. So I have a like a fairly diverse background, um, which sometimes I I do feel like that it's it's it it it's not a good thing, because then you have so many hats that. people have a hard time figuring out uh, what you are really good at and uh, and like i i i'm right now i'm currently freelancing uh, but i'm i'm looking for for a more like more a committed relation to with the one one startup and that uh, it it could be uh, it could uh, most preferably it could be a remote startup uh, but like i have uh, Uh, I used to be an application developer in enterprise setting, mm-hmm. and I worked for telcos, and I worked in consultancy. I, I, uh, like, I used to be a database administrator then, and then sometimes I, I worked on the system servers as well. But then I got interested in startups again back in, referring back to the 2012 and 13 sector. The one thing I had from the beginning, from my childhood, I guess, was I was, I was. 
I used to write. I I won't say that I was good at writing, but I always used to write. Maybe because I was socially awkward with other people, so that was kind of became my thing. That whatever I was feeling, I just used to write on my own diary or whatever notebook that I have at that time. So writing has been a constant theme, and I'm I'm currently like uh, most of my freelancing work is also writing nowadays. And plus, uh, on on the side that I think I am writing this newsletter for past four years now. Uh, so yeah, that's. It. And if I wanted to sign up for your newsletter, how would I do that? Um, just visit arquito.co mm-hmm. and click on the menu on the side, and there you will have the Mailchimp link. It's actually not a well-built site. I apologize for that, but it's it's just something that I built in two hours and never never got to look at it again. Okay. I I probably need to work more on the marketing side and probably building it kind of where it feels like more uh, not just simple but also more functional. Well, it's a perfectly functional WordPress site, and uh, you know you're you're yeah. talking about things like the the Walmart Flipkart, Alibaba, uh, you know, the triangular war going on and things like that. So, it's really interesting stuff if you're interested in startups and, and technology and and from uh, a Pakistan so, yeah, perspective. Yeah, I, I I recently started writing about India as well, just mm-hmm. to broaden my horizon because most of the time I just I just was running out of ideas because not much is happening uh, from the local startups. They like it, there are a lot of startups, but uh, I'm more interested in talking about the product market fit and the business side of things. And for startups, that's a bit a bit of a challenge right now in Pakistan, and there are, there isn't much to talk about. So I started writing about India, where things are a bit more fluid, and every now and then something is happening. But. So as you know, sometimes this happens. I actually was looking to wrap it up at this point. But Imran and I kept talking, and he had another story that was so interesting, I wanted to include it. So I'm going to insert it here, and if the editing is good enough, you won't even know when I cut back to the original ending. So YouTube actually got banned in Pakistan uh, back in 2012 when there was a movie against uh, uh, Prophet Muhammad on on YouTube, and Google just refused to uh, uh, to take it down. So the government took action in in reply to to the public sentiments. Uh, ironically, the public who were really angry probably would never have never heard about YouTube. They were just angry because they someone told them that something has happened. So um, it took them three years to 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 lift that ban, and those was like very uncomfortable years. Like I, it was like YouTube is a major source of not just. Um, not just <clears throat> for the entertainment value, but also uh, for a person like me who is like every like uh, it's 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 rare that we I have a day where I don't get to watch a YouTube video. It doesn't have to be an hour long, but it has to be like a minute or two minute clip. And I'm reading an article, and there is a YouTube click, and then it's like it's like absent from my from from my viewing because it's then in Pakistan. So uh, I think uh, civil society played a good role while uh, pressuring the government. And but yeah, it took them a long time to to lift the ban. And is that is that an issue generally? You think that um, that controversial content and things like that, or or even um, censorship from either the government or whoever, like is that something that um, content companies have to deal with a lot uh, in, in the Pakistani market? Yes, actually, that's that's the sad part. Um, so government 
governments actually uh, boils down to the public sentiment really quickly instead of uh, dealing it and explaining things and how it's going to work and why we cannot ban it and how it's not good for the uh, not good for the economy and etc etc they just they just follow the public sentiment and every time there is some, even a small uh, s- small protest in the country they will just go ahead and do the easy thing and just ban the thing so uh, we we haven't heard like a real big issue since the youtube ban in uh, in early 2015 things are a bit more smoother for the past 3 years but uh, yeah it's it's actually uh, kind of a volatile situation that if something bad happens then uh, public sentiment will rise and uh, and and the government will will bow down in front of it well so, listen uh, if if he's a smart guy uh, if anyone wants to get in, in touch with imran go read his blog and and uh, his ideas But Imran, thank you for taking the time to uh give us the perspective on on the web coming to Pakistan. Uh it's it was a real pleasure. Like I said I am I am a fan of your work and it's probably one of the two or three podcasts that I listen every episode of so I I I I really feel honored. If you like what you've heard on this episode, please support us by subscribing to the podcast so you can get great new stories and conversations every two weeks. And please buy the book that was based on this podcast, "How the Internet Happened from Netscape to the iPhone," by me, Brian McCullough. Order it now wherever books are sold. How the Internet Happened.